The BBC is interrupting its normal programmes to bring you an important announcement. This is BBC News from London. Buckingham Palace has announced the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. In a statement, the palace said the Queen died peacefully at Balmoral this afternoon. The King and the Queen Consort will remain at Balmoral this evening and will return to London tomorrow. BBC Television is broadcasting this special programme, reporting the death of Her Majesty the Queen. That was the moment the BBC announced the death of the Queen. The royal household, along with Britain's media and political establishment, have spent decades planning to the last detail how to manage her passing, and the cogs of those plans are now in motion. On a pretty momentous day in the life of the UK, I'm joined by Ash Sarkar. Thanks for joining me this evening. How have you absorbed it all? I think that it's very rare that you can use the word historic to describe a day. And I think that the last few years, the unprecedented has almost become the quotidian. But this is truly historic. For most of us, this will be the only monarch we've ever known. She's reigned for 70 years, the longest reigning UK monarch. And whether you're a Republican, like many of us at Navarra Media, or a monarchist, we tend to measure our historical periods in this country by kings and queens. And I think you would be hard-pressed to think of a monarch under whose reign the country has changed more. Mm, I mean, it's, it's difficult to know how to approach things like this. I mean, I'm a Republican. I assume most of our audience are probably most likely Republicans. What the BBC tend to say sort of in this kind of situation is, look, whether you're a Republican or not, what you can recognize is this woman has worked incredibly hard and been incredibly honorable her whole life. And for me, that's kind of irrelevant. Like, I don't have very strong feelings about Queen Elizabeth or her, her life. What's kind of relevant to me is lots of people do. You know, I, uh, lots of people do and lots of good people do. I always think of my sort of grandma in this situation. She really cared about the Queen. She's passed now, but she would have been very sad now. So that's, that's why I do think this is a big occasion because there will be lots of people who are genuinely mourning. Ash, yeah, a bit, a bit more on sort of how to how to absorb this. I mean, you're you're a Republican like me. What do you make of the tone of all the media coverage? The tone has sometimes veered into mawkishness and overegging it, and I think it's because the Queen is seen as the single most important facet of British public life, and therefore her passing means that everything else has to be considered a second order issue. We're going to go into a couple of examples of that, I think, later in the show. But what I mean when I talk about the historic nature of the day is that when the Queen came to the throne in 1952, Britain still was in possession of an empire. We now no longer have one. That was a tremendous loss of status for the British monarchy. And I think the really key thing when it comes to understanding this particular Queen is, you know, in 1952, Television ownership was still relatively uncommon. In fact, there are lots of stories about how her coronation pushed up the sales of television. And so this is really what you can think of as the first television queen in British history. And when it comes to the media coverage and actually thinking about this queen's reign, the really difficult moments in terms of the royal family's public image, how they're able to 
stamp down on stories which were reputationally damaging the way in which they were able to present a kind of persona of the queen which was palatable to people that was totally inseparable from television so i think that the two really big things for understanding this queen rather than the elements of personality which i know many people are going to be talking about they'll be talking about things like duty they'll be talking about things like hard work i think the two really big contextual things are the loss of empire and the rise of television we do have the statement from king charles now king charles the third so it reads a statement from his majesty the king at the time of the queen's death the death of my beloved mother her majesty the queen is a moment of the greatest sadness for me and all members of my family we mourn profoundly the passing of a cherished sovereign and a much-loved mother. I know her loss will be deeply felt throughout the country, the realms, and the commonwealth, and by countless people around the world. During this period of mourning and change, my family and I will be comforted and sustained by our knowledge of the respect and deep affection in which the Queen was so widely held. Um, some of the language there, the realms and the commonwealth, does seem very anachronistic. Ash, it, it, it's an interesting situation. I mean, the I mean, obviously, he's been preparing for this for, for a long time. His mother was very old, but he now has to, he's immediately the king. I think I hadn't quite realized how quick that was. I thought potentially, you know, you'd potentially have this interregnum where you didn't have a monarch, but the moment the queen passes, Charles becomes king. What are we going to see over the next few days to try and introduce the country to, to King Charles III? There's already been a media operation in action, particularly when it was patently obvious that the Queen was entering the final years of her life. You've definitely seen efforts to raise the profile of Prince Charles and also of Prince William because the royal family really does live or die by seamless continuity. There's a reason why the abdication crisis of Edward VIII was such a big deal. It's because it imperils the sense of continuity, even though there was another figure who could step up into the role, the Queen's father, George VI. So that ground has been laid for a really long time. I think you've seen the subtle elevation of Prince William being presented as a as a family man, being pictured taking his children to school, emphasizing his ordinariness. And I think when it comes to Prince Charles, there was a very significant moment, which was him taking over for his mother in a in a constitutional role, which was, I believe, uh, the state opening of Parliament. So those continuities have been really emphasized for quite some time. I do think that this is a very tricky moment for the royal family because, yes, there will be this outpouring of grief. When I was a kid, I could remember what it was like when the Princess Diana died. It was a hugely emotive moment. You had an avalanche of flowers outside Buckingham Palace. In some ways, this is Princess Diana times a million because you have the coordination of every single arm of the British establishment because, of course, Princess Diana at that point had been divorced from Charles, whereas, you know, the Queen was the reigning monarch and she was seen as almost the head of the national family. So even though you do have this outpouring of mourning, where I think you will hear a lot of the same things, again, emphasizing her duty, her sense of moral fiber, her integrity, how hard she worked, there is something very tricky, which is, I think, this knowledge that Prince Charles as an individual has had a much rougher time in the press, because if his mother came to the throne in the era where television was really just starting to take off, 
he came of age in the era of tabloid intrusiveness. I think one of the things that people know most about him are the circumstances of his relationship with Princess Diana and their very acrimonious separation. So he has had a really tough time in the public eye, and he's also coming to the throne as the oldest monarch we've ever had at the time of accession. The queen, as a young woman, was able to symbolize various things. The fact that she came to the throne, she was the mother of a young and a growing family. There is something else which I think can be seen to be symbolized in the accession of a very old man. And so I think that that is going to be a very tricky handover, not in terms of power or the constitutional role, because that's quite seamless, but a very tricky handover in terms of public image for the royal family to manage. We can now go to to a clip of Liz Truss. She made a statement outside Downing Street, um, I think about half an hour after the death of the Queen was announced. We are all devastated by the news that we have just heard from Balmoral. The death of Her Majesty the Queen is a huge shock to the nation and to the world. Queen Elizabeth II was the rock on which modern Britain was built. Our country has grown and flourished under her reign. Britain is the great country it is today because of her. She ascended the throne just after the Second World War. She championed the development of the Commonwealth from a small group of seven countries to a family of 56 nations spanning every continent of the world. We are now a modern, thriving, dynamic nation. Through thick and thin, Queen Elizabeth II provided us with the stability and the strength that we needed. She was the very spirit of Great Britain, and that spirit will endure. She has been our longest ever reigning monarch. It's an extraordinary achievement to have presided with such dignity and grace for 70 years. Her, her life of service stretched beyond most of our living memories. In return, she was loved and admired by the people in the United Kingdom and all around the world. She has been a personal inspiration to me and to many Britons. Her devotion to duty is an example to us all. Earlier this week, at 96, she remained determined to carry out her duties as she appointed me as her 15th Prime Minister. Throughout her life, she's visited more than 100 countries and she has touched the lives of millions around the world. In the difficult days ahead, we will come together with our friends across the United Kingdom, the Commonwealth and the world to celebrate her extraordinary lifetime of service. It is a day of great loss, but Queen Elizabeth II leaves a great legacy. Today, the crown passes, as it has done for more than a thousand years, to our new monarch, our new head of state, His Majesty, King Charles III. With the King's family, we mourn the loss of his mother. And as we mourn, we must come together as a people to support him, to help him bear the awesome responsibility that he now carries for us all. We offer him our loyalty and devotion, just as his mother devoted so much to so many for so long. And with the passing of the second Elizabethan age, 
we usher in a new era in the magnificent history of our great country, exactly as Her Majesty would have wished, by saying the words, God save the King. I said at the introduction to this show that I, I, I don't want to appear like I'm taking this lightly because I know that lots of people care about this. Lots of people will be moved by the passing of the Queen and lots of good people will be. So I, I don't want to take this lightly, but hearing Liz Truss say, God save the King, at the end of that quite banal speech, struck me as a little bit ridiculous. Ash, what did you make of Liz Truss's statement there? I mean, big moment for her. She's only been Prime Minister for two days. Well, in some ways, this would be the ideal opportunity for a Conservative Prime Minister to emphasise their closeness to the institutions of tradition and hierarchy that Conservatives are supposed to embrace. It's a little bit awkward for Liz Truss that one of the earliest pieces of political commentary we have of her is as a Liberal Democrat calling for the abolition of the monarchy. Now, I imagine there'll be more than a few wits on Twitter, sharing that widely at the moment. I think for me, the thing that was really striking was, one, the strangeness of hearing King Charles III, and two, this weird back and forth between talking about the Queen as Charles's mother and talking about the Queen as the crown, the symbol of eternity and dignity and mystery at the heart of the British state, because it always reminds me of something that Mary, Queen of Scots, said uh, when, you know, sort of presented with her own child, who had later become James VI of Scotland, James I of England. She said, think you I could love my own winding sheet. Basically, what that gets to the very core of is that Monarchs and their heirs have always had very strange and very strained relationships because there's always this sense among, for the heir that they can never really truly be who they are until their parent dies. And obviously for their parent, there is this strange sense of, you know, you will succeed me literally when I'm no longer here. So it's this constant reminder of your own mortality. And it's been no secret that there's often been a very strained and very distant relationship between Charles and his mother. And there wasn't a similar sort of strain or distance between Elizabeth and her younger sons, Andrew and Edward. And just, yeah, that moment of back and forth between talking about the Queen as a mother and talking about the Queen as a monarch just reminded me of the inerrant weirdness of having a royal family at all. Let's go through some of the day's events, because it has been a very surreal few hours, I have to say. The first moment that speculation mounted about the Queen was when, during a Commons debate on energy bills, a note was passed to Liz Truss in the Commons and then to the Labour front bench. So at the time, Labour MP Chris Bryant tweeted this, something odd is going on in the Commons, a Harwee briefing PM urgently. So that was at 12.12pm, so just after midday. Shortly after that, the Speaker of the House interrupted the debate to make this statement. I wish to say something about the announcement which has just been made about Her Majesty. I know I speak on behalf of the entire House when I say that we send our best, best wishes to Her Majesty the Queen and that she and the Royal Family are in our thoughts and prayers at this moment. I'm going to take no more just to, if there is anything else, we will update the House accordingly. 
And then this was the statement that was posted from the Buckingham Palace website. This is obviously earlier this afternoon. Following further evaluation this morning, the Queen's doctors are concerned for Her Majesty's health and have recommended she remain under medical supervision. Of course, I didn't give much detail, but the fact that all of the TV news and all the politicians were really going into the mode seems to have been prepared for a long time. How, how to announce this, it was pretty clear that's what was going on. I mean, Ash, how did you feel watching this? I mean, it's quite surreal, isn't it? Sort of how choreographed this all is. Like, I'm not sure what was on that note that Liz Truss was passed and then was passed to the front bench. Did that note at the time announce the Queen's death? That's, you know, a lot of speculation. What Buckingham Palace is saying is that she passed away at some point this afternoon. But the whole thing is, it seemed like people knew for a while what we weren't being told. I mean, maybe that's perfectly understandable. Maybe it's, you know, this, this family's private life. They're allowed to announce the news whenever they want to. But the whole thing felt bizarre, didn't it? The death of a monarch is always choreographed. So one, the language used around the physical health of a monarch is almost always euphemistic and disguising something else. So for instance, the Queen has been described as having mobility issues. Now, obviously, she was 96. She was not going to be able to run around and be as active as she could have when she was young. But that was quite clearly a euphemism for something else. What that something else was, we may never know. Then when the line was that she was at Balmoral resting and was comfortable, again, this is a euphemism for something we can't be certain what it means. But I think that it's a pretty clear nod towards palliative care, something which you'll often hear if you've ever had a loved one in a hospice is that comfortable often means a synonym for sedated and being medicated with morphine. But this isn't something that's new or something which is unique to our 24-hour news cycle where the press is always after something which is new, a new piece of information which they can give to the public. If you go back to the death of the Queen's own father, he'd been very ill for quite some time. He'd had lung cancer. He'd had to have one of his lungs removed. And when he was having that very drastic surgery, the reason that was publicly given was that he had had structural abnormalities or structural irregularities, I can't remember the precise phrasing, in his lung. Because the idea of saying that the king had cancer was unseemly, or perhaps because of the king's religious role as head of the church, it would be seen as too close to the idea that he'd been lighted by God with something. So there had to be this invention, this euphemism, which could describe his terminal illness. Even before that, so now we're going to the Queen's grandfather, he was quite clearly dying and his doctor expedited his passing by injecting him with a lethal dose of morphine and cocaine. The reason why that was done was so that the death could be announced with the morning papers rather than the evening papers, because the morning papers were seen as more respectable and more befitting of a monarch's passing. So how this news seeps into the public consciousness has always been very, very tightly choreographed. And I think one of the reasons why we perceive it as being so strange is because there's an awful lot of euphemism and whispers, an awful lot of drawing close the curtain where you know that something absolutely huge has happened, but nobody can talk openly about it. I mean, Michael, before we went live on the show, one of the things that you mentioned was 
Nicholas Witchell very slowly on BBC News saying it's 6.30 and then three minutes of filler and then there was a sort of cut to Hugh Edwards doing that announcement of the Queen had died. And what that indicates is perhaps there was some kind of news embargo that Nicholas Witchell was aware of. So again, that indicates a lot of stage managing in this process of how the information becomes public. It was actually a very, I mean, this really is into the weeds, but there was a very surreal three minutes because, I mean, as we're going to, we're going to read out a passage in a moment, which shows you sort of how much preparation has gone into this event from the big media organizations. But the BBC did fluff it slightly, actually, because just before 6.30, I was watching BBC News and and you heard Nicholas Witchell, who's the the royal editor at the BBC, sort of, uh, uh, there was a long time, basically, there were many hours today where there wasn't that much to say, but they had to really fill a lot of time. And at one point, he sort of started saying, I think it's coming up to half six. And the moment he said that, I was like, ah, oh, he knows there's an embargo that they're going to announce this at half six. But then the BBC sort of really fluffed it and didn't announce it for like three minutes. And during that time, Twitter, all the other newspapers had announced it. So, I mean, someone's probably getting told off at the BBC that they've been planning this for, for decades. Let's go to some information about how the media have been planning. This is from a long read, which was published in The Guardian in 2017. Very informative. And this is what stuck out to me. So it reads, At the BBC, the radio alert transmission system, or RATS, will be activated after the Queen um, passes. A Cold War era alarm designed to withstand an attack on the nation's infrastructure. RATS which is also sometimes referred to as royal about to snuff it, is a near-mythical part of the intricate architecture of ritual and rehearsals for the death of major royal personalities that the BBC has maintained since the 1930s. All news organisations will scramble to get films on air and obituaries online. At The Guardian, the deputy editor has a list of prepared stories pinned to his wall. The Times is said to have 11 days of coverage ready to go. At Sky News and ITN, which for years rehearsed the death of the Queen, substituting the name Mrs. Robinson, calls will go out to royal experts who have already signed contracts to speak exclusively on those channels. For people stuck in traffic or with Heart FM on in the background, there will only be the subtlest of indications at first that something is going on. Britain's commercial radio stations have a network of blue, quote, obit lights, which is tested once a week and supposed to light up in the event of a national catastrophe. When the news breaks, these lights will start flashing to alert DJs to switch to the news in the next few minutes and to play inoffensive music in the meantime. Every station down to hospital radio has prepared music lists made up of Mood 2, which is sad, or Mood 1, saddest songs, to reach for in times of sudden mourning. And he writes, the newsreaders will wear black suits and black ties, programs will stop, networks will merge, BBC 1, 2 and 4 will be interrupted and revert silently to their respective idents an exercise class in a village hall, a swan waiting on a pond before coming together for the news. Listeners to Radio 4 and Radio 5 Live will hear a specific formulation of words. This is the BBC from London, which intentionally or not, will summon a spirit of national emergency. Ash, what do you make of all of this? I mean, as I say, I do think there will be lots of genuine mourning among the population, uh, or among you know significant parts of it. At the same time, I do... I do find it a little bit uncomfortable the way this is so choreographed from the top. And it, it does feel like how you are supposed to respond to this is very much dictated to you from above. The BBC doesn't give you much choice. That's the whole nature of sort of all the channels going to the same thing. We talked about this a lot when the, when the Duke of Edinburgh passed away. It feels, it's a bit like a state religion really, isn't it? 
Well, it absolutely is. And maybe I can explain why. Quick test time. What are the first three words of the US Constitution? We the people. The people. So the idea of the American nation is absolutely bound up with the people and the demos. And that's why your head of state is a president who has a ceremonial role, of course, a much smaller ceremonial role than our constitutional monarch, the queen did. But every single thing which makes up the image of the nation and the embodiment of the nation is subject to democratic renewal through elections. Uh, And that is how the kind of, you know, one order dies and another is reborn and so on and so forth in perpetuity. Whereas we don't have that. What are the first three words of our constitution? We don't have one. That's four for you. Um, Instead, what we have is the crown. Now, the crown as an abstract is eternal. It is supposed to stretch back through perpetuity and locates its origins in William the Conqueror, supposedly an unbroken line. Not quite true, but, you know, thereabouts. And it's embodied in a human person and a human family, which is never subject to the kind of participative process of death and rebirth that general election of a president would have. There are literal deaths and there are literal births, but there is nothing of that symbolic participative nature that a proper democracy has. So instead, what you have are these moments of choreographed emotion, where as a nation, we are supposed to grieve as one for the loss of this human embodiment of the nation. And then when it comes to the coronation itself, and don't forget your king or your queen for quite a while before the coronation happens, because that is something which is equally choreographed and stage managed. That is kind of the rebirth again. And it's supposed to be this emotional process which can stand in for meaningful democratic participation. And I think that one of the reasons why it feels so odd is because when it is an edict coming down from on high, all of the radio stations do this. This is the tone which is struck by absolutely everybody working in the media. These are the songs that have to be played on hospital radio. It reminds you of just how hierarchical and indeed feudal this nation still is. I can see we've got the, you know, the news streams on in the background. And I can see there are already many people gathering um, outside Buckingham Palace. And I think we are really going to find out over the next few days the extent to which there is a popular outpouring of grief. I know they've sort of planned to have half a million people, I think, sort of attending Buckingham Palace. We're going to see some big crowds, I imagine. You might remember when, when Princess Diana passed, there was sort of looked like miles and miles and miles of flowers outside Buckingham Palace. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw something similar over the next few days. One element that's potentially uncomfortable in the coverage of the death of the Queen is the extent to which other stories get pushed by the wayside. And this was a particularly uncomfortable moment on the BBC. Damien Grammaticus is standing by at Buckingham Palace. Uh, Damien, um, the news 
a little bit earlier on today that the doctors in Scotland were concerned about the Queen's health coming um, as Liz Trust was making a, a rather important statement concerning um, the future of energy bills. Um, that, of course, insignificant now, given the gravity of the situation we seem to be experiencing with Her Majesty. Well, certainly overshadowed, Clive, yes. The correspondent there had to correct Clive Myrie, the host. He said, I, I think you might mean overshadowed instead of the bills crisis, people, you know, millions of people struggling to heat their homes this winter. However seriously we should take the grief that people might feel about the Queen, that does not make the struggle that people face over bills this winter insignificant. And I imagine, Ash, that there's obviously going to be a part of the establishment that, that wants to use this as an opportunity to distract from other issues which are affecting millions of people. They probably don't want to do it in such a crass way as Clive Myrie did there, though, do they? I think that Clive Myrie's comments were just downright offensive because, of course, lots of people will be very sad that the Queen died. But she was a woman who lived in immense wealth in immense comfort up until the ripe old age of 96. And when we're looking at this energy crisis, what's going to happen? Well, there are going to be huge numbers of households having to choose between heating and eating. And that's going to mean, unfortunately, that people will die. We've seen excess deaths in winter spike, particularly during the period of austerity, where you had the really brutal impact of cuts to people's benefits. And even with prices capped at £2,500 a year, which is, of course, the announcement that was made today, that is still about twice as much as what people were paying at the beginning of this year. So that's a hugely steep increase in a very short amount of time. And people simply won't be able to pay it. That is going to mean fuel poverty for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of households. And to say that that is insignificant in comparison to the death of one woman, of course, constitutionally a very important woman, but one woman nonetheless is offensive. I can see the comments, a couple of people sort of saying, well, why aren't you covering other stuff? Perfectly legitimate question. I should say we will be covering all of the details of the bill's announcement tomorrow in our scheduled episode of Tisky Sour. The reason we're only talking about the Queen passing this evening is because it's an unscheduled episode. And even if this is not the most important thing that's happened today, it is very uh, politically significant, let's say, even if in this particular Day, but we will be talking tomorrow a lot about those those bills. And again, that's not because the Queen passing is more important than those bills. It's because this is really what is dominating the public conversation today. As millions of people mourn the passing of the Queen, it can feel difficult to know what to say, how to intervene if you are instinctively Republican. This person, box popped by CNN, got it pitch perfect, though. I just wonder what you thought, what your first reaction was when you heard the news that uh, the Queen is under medical supervision. Um, I mean, I think it's pretty sad, like, when anyone kind of gets in that position, like, you wouldn't want that to happen to your own family member. Um, but I, I'm not, like, the biggest fan of the Queen or just, like, the monarchy in general, so I wasn't, like, that upset or overwhelmed by it. It was just 
something that happens, I guess. You're not the biggest fan of, of the monarchy. I wonder why. Um, mainly to do with like British, like colonial history, things like that. A lot of things that have gone on, which have been quite shady, even like recently with like Prince Andrew and everything. So, um, yeah, I'm not really that biggest fan. <laughs> Fair enough. It was nice, talk- nice talking to you. Fair enough. Um, I thought that was very well put. Very sensitively put. I agree with everything she said. Ash, what did you make of that Vox Pop? I'll put it this way. She's a braver woman than I have right now. And maybe this is something to mention when we're talking about the top-down nature of the morning, is that all of these conversations which people who are Republicans or who have felt themselves disenchanted with the monarchy because of the caring zone of Prince Andrew, people who are socialists, people who are anarchists, people who, you know, simply want a real democracy and not a constitutional monarch as our head of state who we don't elect. All of these conversations are taking place with in a an environment of surveillance. So if you're saying anything on social media or you're a talking head or you're a person being vox popped on the street, is that you are more than aware that the Daily Mail, the Sun, GB News, you know, real bottom feeders like Dan Wooten and Sophie Corcoran and, you know, the people who compile outraged listicles for the Daily Express. They're looking for reasons to take your face, take what you said and hold you up as public enemy number one. So there is one side of the top down mourning, which is an oppressive demand for everybody to grieve in the same way. And then the other side of it is the policing of discourse, which essentially makes the price of holding a totally legitimate political opinion one of putting your career at risk, putting your safety at risk, putting your mental health at risk, because a newspaper is going to splash your face all over the place. And I think that that's something which is really relevant to point out, because there'll be lots of people saying, you must be respectful in this time of national mourning. Well, I quite agree. I think it's on all of us to be respectful, mindful of each other's feelings. But I've also read tweets from, for instance, Piers Morgan's son, Spencer Morgan, calling for people who have tweeted things that he finds personally distasteful to be deported. And so I think that tells you something about the kind of reactionary mania which can surround these things where it becomes an opportunity to quite violently redraw the boundaries of legitimate or utterable opinion. Comments in the chat about how this is being covered elsewhere. So Paul Lung says leading in Denmark. I'm Jocelyn Fenton from Brooklyn, New York. I couldn't really care less. However, there are Americans crying a river over it. We also have messages from um, Nora Kasinica. Um, my mum messaged me her condolences from Slovakia. That's when I knew to check the news. Um, in Brazil, it's the only thing they're talking about now. Forget the threat of a coup with Bolsonaro from Montreal monarchy, not so popular in Quebec, apparently. But it clearly is being talked about in many places. I think this probably is. Probably the number one story in most countries right now. RTE in Ireland has it as the big story. It's being shown in Uganda news. Um, so yeah, I mean, clearly this is a big story everywhere in the world right now. Although I imagine that it's not covered in the same sort of top down, we all must be grieving right now, which I think is sort of what we're experiencing at the moment. I think we will be seeing lots of footage 
from outside Buckingham Palace over the next few days. As I say, it's going to be interesting to see the popular response to this news. And I think we are going to end this stream soon. So Ash, can I get some final thoughts from you? Oh, final thoughts. That's going to be a really tricky one. I mean, I think maybe I'll just reiterate the thing that I said at the top, which is that constitutional monarchy is a really weird thing. It means that something which is symbolic of the nation where power resides is literally embodied by a human being. So that means that we read their virtues and their strengths as strengths and virtues of the nation. The flip side of that is that we often see their frailties and their vices as the nation's frailties and vices. I think it's being really underestimated the extent to which this change from Elizabeth to Charles will really rock our sense of self and who we are as a nation. We had a young queen come to the throne in a moment of optimism, of new public institutions being built, of you know, record numbers of council housing uh, being constructed. And now we have the oldest monarch we've ever had coming to the throne in an, in an environment which seems defined by a sense of national decline. That is something which is going to be very tricky for the monarchy to manage. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how they try and navigate that from a PR perspective. I can see Philosophy Tube in the chat. We're big fans of our media. Really interesting to see the construction of nationhood happening in real time. Now, I think that is probably going to be a big theme um, on Navarra Media over the next couple of weeks. That is really what we are watching here. You might not want to take part. I certainly find it very interesting. As I say, I'm approaching this as a curious outsider. Ash, thank you so much for joining me this evening. I couldn't have hoped to have a better conversant on such a momentous day. Thanks for having me. I mean, it's a big day for Navarra's royal correspondent, I suppose. It's me and Nicholas Witchell really manning the cameras. We're going to keep you busy, Ash. Don't worry. We will be back tomorrow night live on this channel from 7pm for our usual Friday show. Thank you for watching this evening. Um, you've been watching Navarra Media. Good night. This broadcast is brought to you by Navarra Media. Go to navaramedia.com support.